On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me for the dear lamb of god left his glory above to bear it to dark calvary so i'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophy at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown in the old rugged cross stained with blood so divine a wondrous beauty I see for twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died and pardon and sanctify me to the old rugged cross I will ever be true it's shame and reproach gladly bear Then he'll call me someday to my home far away and glory forever I'll share so I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophy at day I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it some day for a crown. Amen. Thank you, Bob. Well, it's a privilege to have Brother George Van Hooser with us this evening and his wife, Harriet. Harriet, you want to raise your hand over there? She's on the side. They've been coming since July, I was told, and, and uh, they go to the Proclaimers class at 11 o'clock you know, on Sunday mornings, and so no stranger to those that are in that class, um, but uh, really got put to work <laughs> once they moved here, moved here from um, Springfield, Missouri, and um, has been pastoring for many years, retired pastor, graduated from Bob Jones in 64, is that right? And uh, um, Pastor Kaminsky found out that he'd been pastoring and preaching, and, and uh, Brother Van Hooser tell, told, told me that, Pastor Astman, when's the last time you preached? And he said, well, two weeks ago. <laughs> and uh, Pastor Kaminsky said, well, there is a church in Sutherland that doesn't have a pastor. Would you be interested in filling the pulpit? And uh, he said, well, sure, yeah. <laughs> and he's been doing that ever since August, filling the pulpit every other Sunday uh, along with Mike Smith. And so it's our privilege tonight to hear Brother Van Hooser as he preaches. And I pray that you would just respond in that faith and obedience to the Word of God. And so, Brother Van Hooser, why don't you come on up? What time? Okay. All right. One day at. Uh, chapel, Dr. Jones Jr., broke into his message and, and he said uh, to, uh, to, to us preacher boys, he says, gentlemen, he said, you know, normally you take a text, pick a text, and you preach from it. He said, what you ought to do once in a while is to preach to your text and then to allow your text to be the, the last thing that you say your summary, and your conclusion. 
your conclusion and all. And let, let your text be the last thing that you say. And I, I thought on that. I said, you know, that's a good idea. I'm going to keep that in mind. Well, in our first church, our first obligation, we called it a charge because it was two churches. I had a country church, then I had a town church. And the country church uh, services, uh, Sunday morning service, was from 10 to 11. And then I had 15 minutes to drive into town. And my, the uh, uh, town church service was from 11.15 to 12.15. And it wasn't that much distance. It wasn't really bad unless I got a little long-winded. <laughs> and in the, in the uh, town church, I, I earned very quickly a reputation for being long-winded. And I earned that reputation. And so well, this particular Sunday, or this week, I, I happened in my preparation, I happened to think what Dr. Jones Jr. said. And I said, you know, I'm going to do that. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to uh, give my text. I'm going to read it at the end. And I'm going to preach to my text this week. And so that Sunday, I got to, got to the town church at the appropriate time. We got through all these preliminaries. Uh, and I got into my sermon, and I was right to the point where I was going to read my text, summarize, and conclude. And I looked at my watch. It was five minutes after 12. We were going to get out on time. <laughs> then I made a mistake. I didn't have a microphone. So I leaned over on the pulpit, and I took off my glasses. And I said, now that was my introduction. <laughs> the entire congregation, we had an auditorium that would seat about 90 comfortably. We had it a little more than half full. We had a nice congregation that, that Sunday. And the entire congregation in unison, audibly, out loud, responded, Oh, no. <laughs> I've just given you a warning what you have to look forward to. All right. Uh, the text this, this, after, this afternoon or evening, I'm not sure which it is. It's from Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. And the text is the entire chapter. Okay, now listen, y'all. That was your cue to say, oh, no. <laughs> well, you might ask me the question, why in the world would you preach from this chapter? This is the dullest chapter. It's the most, uh, most neglected chapter in the Bible. You, you hear sermons from chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4 and chapter 6 and chapter 9 and chapter 12 and so forth and so on, but you don't ever hear any sermons from chapter 5. Why in the world would you preach from chapter 5? Oh, yes. This chapter contains the history of the development of language in the pre-flood uh, era. You see the development of language. You see the development of industry. You see also the rise of, of, uh, of violence in the society prior to the flood. You say, well, wait a minute. All I see here is a bunch of names. Yes, and that's where you find the information. If you want to know what this chapter contains, then spend your time studying the names. Because the names gives you the information that God wants you to have in this chapter. On here. So, let's read uh, the chapter. This is the book of the generation of Adam in the day that God created man. He made him in his likeness, uh, in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day that they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son 
in his own likeness and after his image and named him Seth. And after he begat Seth, the days of Adams were 800 uh, 800 years, and he, he had sons and daughters, so the, that all the days of Adam uh, lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and begat Anus. And after he begat Anus, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. And after he begat Canaan, Enos lived 815 years and had sons and daughters, so that all the days of Enos were 905 years. And he died. And Canaan lived 70 years and begat whoever this fellow is, Mr. M. (laughs) And after he begat Mr. M, Canaan lived 840 years and he had sons and daughters And all the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. And Mr. M lived 65 years and begot Jared. And after he begot Jared, uh, Mr. M lived 830 years and had sons and daughters, so that all all of his days were 895 years, and he died. And Jared lived uh, uh, 162 years and begot Enos. After he begat Enos, Jared lived 800 years, and he had sons and daughters, so that all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. And Enos lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enos walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters, so that all the days of Enos were 365 years. And Enos walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. And after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters, so that all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. And Lamech lived 182 years and had sons and had a son and called his son Noah, saying, This is one who comforts us concerning our work and the toll of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. And after he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters, and all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah lived 500, uh, was 500 years old, And Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Japheth. May the Lord add his blessings to this, the reading of his word. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we're thankful for thy word. And we're thankful for this passage that you have given to us. We pray that this evening that we will see something here that will strengthen us, feed our souls, and help us to witness more effectively to those who are without. For we ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Some some people will ask, why why in the world do you pick such a weird text? Well, I was uh, selling insurance for the preferred risk insurance company when uh, I was in college. It was a non-drinkers company. We had special rates, and I had... I was going to, uh, uh, contacting the families of a Church of God church there in, in Greenville, South Carolina. And I met one evening with a lady, a widow, and uh, I went through all the process of trying to uh, see if we could help her. And, of course, we couldn't. Uh, her insurance was was as good as what I had to offer in the Price was the same or, or better. And so after going through the process, we began to talk about the Bible, about church, about religion, because she was a member of this Church of God church. And she said to me, she said, you know, said, I love my pastor. I really do. He's a good man. He said, but he's got one problem. He said, when he gets up and announces his text, 
I know exactly what he's going to say because he says the same thing over and over and over again. He said, I love the gospel. I love hearing it. He said, but I sure would like to have a new piece of meat to chew on once in a while. And that kind of struck to me. And so I have made it a policy to try whenever I'm asked to fill in like this, when it's just a one-time, basically a one-time appearance uh, for a pastor, to, to look at something that chances are the congregation has never heard before. Give you a new piece of meat to chew on. So that's the reason why. I originally thought about preaching my sermon on um, the true terror of hell. But that was a sermon. I, I, there's a difference between a sermon and a lecture in my, in my thinking. When I, when I preach a sermon, I throw a, a, a black cloth over that clock and I don't pay any attention to the time. The sermon will end when it ends. And say, if it takes an hour and a half, I'll preach an hour and a half. I don't hesitate, and I don't apologize for it. Now, with a lecture, I can cut it off and make it kind of almost fit. We'll be here. We'll be out here by at least 12. Or... Okay. Oh, no. Oh, hey, they're catching on. Good. All right. But the reason I've chosen this is for this very reason. How many times you may have someone, if you haven't already had someone to come to you and ask you, do you really believe that Methuselah lived 900 and some odd years? Hmm? Oh, you do? Why? Well, so what? I don't think it's God's Word. It's just a book. No? You have a problem because now what are you going to say to him to give him a reason to believe God's Word? For you to just simply say, God said it, I believe it, that's, that settles it, doesn't sell it at all, not in his mind. Well, you still have got to give people a reason to accept the testimony. You know, Paul told the, 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 the church, he says, All be ready always to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you can't give them some plausibility, and they come to you and they ask you an honest question, this is a problem, this is a barrier in their mind to their faith. They can't really believe John 3.16 because of the fact that they have a problem with Genesis chapter 5. And now they come to you sincerely asking, why should I believe that these people lived this long? And if you can't give them a, a plausibility and break that barrier down, then my dear friends, you probably will consign that soul to hell. And we've all done it. People have come to us sincerely asking a question and we've just flipped them off. And when we've done it, we've probably have sent them to hell. So I'm going to try to give to you some reasons why when you, when, if you ever face this particular situation, that you will be able to talk with them intelligently and maybe break down the barrier which this chapter presents in their mind. Now, it's not a problem with you. Like you say, it's God's Word. But you believe God's Word. But that person may not believe God's Word. And so now you've got to break that down in order to preach the gospel effectively to them. All right, first of all, very, you have to begin with the basic premise of the Scriptures. And that is that man was created in the image and likeness of God. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all uh, over all earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created he them. Now look at chapter 5. Look at chapter 5. And Adam, verse 3, And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Same words in reverse order. So when we say likeness in image, what are we talking about? Hmm? Well, we got a little one out right here. Some of you know her better than I do. Who does she look like? (laughs) Well, when she gets older, she might look like her daddy. (laughs) A little bit more. (laughs) Yeah, what is it? Our children become an extension of ourselves. They begin to bear our own characteristic, both physically and personally. I, I was always thought that Fran, uh, our youngest daughter, the our daughter who lives here in, in Eugene, uh, the reason why we moved here, uh, she came to us or called her mama. She said, "Mama, don't don't talk, don't say anything." Just listen. I've got a pod scheduled for you to uh, deliver to your house on such and such day. You put all your stuff in it, lock it, pack your bags. You're moving to Oregon. I've got an apartment for you. We didn't have anything to say about it. (laughs) You know how children are after they get a little older, they get a little bossy. But uh, I I always thought, I think I'm, I'm never... Coming through, I'm not getting through to this child. After we've moved here and I've had a chance to actually look at her and and observe her, I find out she's got she's she's too much like me, a whole lot more than I thought she was. And that's what we're talking about here. That when God created us, He created created man in the beginning. Man was as it were, almost this was the spitting image of God in material form. Okay? Now, stop and think what that means. Now, why in the world would God create a material being like himself? Why would he do that? Because he was looking down the road of time. And he saw that there was going to be a moment when it would be necessary for his son to assume the nature and form of man to be incarnate in order to die and to be buried and rise again for the salvation of that race. You see... The creation anticipated and made possible the incarnation. If man was not created in the image and likeness of God, God could never have assumed the nature and likeness of man. But there's another problem. That other problem is that if he was not created in this very complex and peculiar manner, for God to assume the nature of man would destroy that nature. So man's by man's nature had to be able to embrace divinity in order for the incarnation to take place. So man is a very complicated being. Now, I may not have worded that the best in the world, 
And you may understand it a whole lot different than what I intended. But nevertheless, my point is simply this. Man was is a very complex being. And so such a being uh, with such complexity, with such capacity for him to live 35 years is absurd. Right? You would expect such a being as that to live hundreds of years as far as human time is concerned. And so the ages of Adam and the generation before the flood of being 800 and 900 years is not uh, out of harmony with the premise which the whole account is based on, that in the beginning God created man in His image. It's consistent. And so therefore, when we look at these uh, uh, these uh, ages, these numbers, we can look at them and say, yes, they are true. Now, there were uh, some other reasons for the longevity of man. And that is that the original environment supported long life. Not only man's creation made it possible for him to live so long, but also that the environment, first of all, it was a protected environment. Look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 7. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Now the creationist model, which we have developed in the last 50 years, suggests that that firmament was a vapor barrier that enveloped the earth and filtered out the ultraviolet rays, the harmful rays of the sun, allowing only the light and the heat rays to, to penetrate. If then the ultraviolet light was filtered out and was, was not a part of the experience of the pre-flood uh, experience, then that would also make it possible or more likely for long life. Because how many people are dying from cancer? Our oldest daughter, Susanna, died a few years ago. Monastic melanoma. Well, my dear friends, she wasn't by herself. There are thousands of others who for for various reasons, uh, have their their health affected because of the ultraviolet rays of the sun, and they don't take proper protection. They put, they don't put on sunscreen, but they lay outside, or they wear uh, uh, clothes that are exposed a lot of skin, and they don't put on any uh, any protection. And they end up having serious problems. If not death, they have health issues. Which shortens their life. So that was the first thing. Second one, the diet of the first couple was vegan. Genesis 1.29. Look at verse 29. God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed which is on the face of the earth. Every tree whose fruit yields seed to you, it shall be food. They were vegans. Now, I, I, you know, I didn't even know what a vegan was back six months ago. I thought, a vegan? What in the world is a vegan? Sounds rather weird. And I don't want to be a vegan because I like my steak. <laughs> Well, I'm glad I got an amen somewhere. I'll take any amen I can get. Uh, but we know 
that your diet has an effect upon your health. Not only in enjoying good health, but enjoying long health. So here you have a protected environment that uh, uh, aids long life. You also have a healthy diet that uh, that that uh, uh, supports long life. You have a the 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 th- third thing is that this is a new creation. How many of you got a, anybody here got a car that's that you've only had maybe five or six weeks? Anybody? Oh, boy, you just ruined my illustration. <laughs> well, you know, you, uh, how many of you have bought a new car? Okay, okay, I can get some hands. All right, in the, in the first few weeks of a brand new car, how many times do you take it to the garage? You don't take it to the garage. Not unless it's a lemon. See, I have had one or two of those. No. But if you've got a car like mine, 10 years old or older, chances are you got something wrong with it. I've got a list. Right there. Well, right there. <laughs> Problems with the car. So the next time we take it in, I can have that looked at. Why? Because it's gotten older. So what we are talking about, if we're talking about mankind when man was young and strong and vigorous. We're old people, not literally. I mean, well, yeah, so, but, <laughs> but we're way down the line, okay? 6,000 years at least. Well, jeans, yeah. In those days when I was a kid, you wouldn't be caught dead in them. Now they pay $40 for them. But uh, when the creation was new and strong and vigorous, and you had a diet that that uh, promoted health, and you had a protected environment, you put those things together, what do you have? Is it then impossible for a man to have lived 900 years? No, not at all. In fact, that is something that we would naturally, if we were not biased, we would naturally expect. We wouldn't have a problem with it. Now, the question comes then, what happened? What happened that changed this equation? Well, the problem, uh, what happened was the flood. The the decline in man's longevity may be attributed to the effects of the flood. Now, if you go and look in chapter 5, you look at all these ages. We read the whole thing. That's the reason why I read the whole chapter. And they were all 800, 900 years. If you were to add up all of those numbers, you would find that they average out to 907 years. That was the average lifespan of the men who are listed here in the Scriptures. Now, if you go to chapter 11 and look at verses uh, 10 through 26, you can also find eight names of men who lived after the flood. And if you add up all of those ages and divide it by eight to get the average, you find that the average is 348. It's a drop of almost or actually more than 60%. Almost immediately. And you find in the eighth generation, Nahor lived only 140 some odd years. And so we find that there is in the scriptures is, uh, evidence that this is these are actual records of real numbers, real years, actual lifespans, because we have a great uh, a difference between the ages that 
are recorded before the flood and the ages that are recorded after the flood. If this was made up, that would not likely be the case. So we know that the flood had an effect. Now, what were some of the reasons for the decline of uh, human longevity? Well, if you go to chapter 7 and look at verse 11, you find that that protective barrier, that vapor barrier that cre- the, of the creationist model collapsed. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month of the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. In other words, that protective barrier collapsed. That's the reason that 40 days and 40 nights, it rained, torrential rains for 40 days and 40 nights. That was the protective barrier that protected this earth and protected human life and all life from the dangerous ultraviolet rays of the sun. So that protection was taken away. We also are told that there were only six individuals, actually eight, but only six individuals after the flood. Now, stop and think about it. Now, ladies, let me ask you this question. Ooh, I'm five minutes after. Okay. I can't see that clock. I'm sorry. You see? No, can't see it. I'm going to be through. This is the introduction. Oh. <laughs> they're picking up on this thing, I think. I think they're getting, getting with it. I think. Now, let me ask you a question, ladies. Uh, how would you like to live, be able to live with your husband, say, 700, 800 years? Huh? Well, I, didn't get any, I, I didn't get any hands raised, I guess. Okay. But, and I, but, but stop and think what that meant. If uh, these men had their first, uh, uh, sired their first babies when they're about 150 and they lived 900 years, hey, that's, that's at least 700 years. Uh, figure uh, one baby every two years. I mean, uh, those, those, their wives were popping out 400 babies. You know, that's, that's a lot of babies, you see. Now, I don't remember why I was going there, but there it is. Uh, but, but I think the point was this. The, the DNA, the gene pool, whatever you want to call it, of that first couple, Adam and Eve, was dispersed over billions of people. By the time the flood uh, uh, occurred, there were literally billions of people. Probably more than that's on the face of the earth today. And when the flood occurred, only three couples survived. The gene pool, the DNA, was reduced from billions to six. That was a serious threat to the existence of the species. Why do you think God placed the fear of man in the animals? Because now it was going to take a lot longer for the human uh, population to recover. And the human uh, population was going to be physically weaker than their predecessors. Because the gene pool or the DNA, so much of it was destroyed. So that was, that was probably the greatest single element of the whole thing. The second thing is that we have a change in the microscopic world. Now, if you had a microscope that could uh, magnify the back of your hand, 
oh, 10,000, 25,000 times. And you could actually get down to where you could see the microscopic world. You would probably find a microscopic uh, Kmart somewhere on the back of your hand. Yeah, or Walmart. Or Sears and Roebuck. I mean, the back of your hand, your hands, your whole body, your whole body is the environment for billions and billions and billions of microbes. Now, most of them are benign. Some of them are good. A lot of them are dangerous. Why do you wash your hands? Hmm? To get some of those microbes off. You see. Now, prior to the flood, the microscopic world, because the world was stable, the microscopic world was stable. So that most of the microbes that are important for the, for the continuation of life were good. But that flood, and one of the things that we have found when they have studied floods, and this is True, particularly in the third world countries, but we've seen it also in this country, in Europe, uh, in Japan, uh, in Asia and other places, is that after a flood, there is an outbreak of disease. And sometimes that's because of pollution, but a lot of times it's, again, the disruption of these microbes because once they, their environment is disrupted, they begin to mutate, and when they, as they are mutating, they get downright mean. And they get dangerous. And they can change in an instant and become deadly. And so the flood, if this is true on a local flood, what can you imagine took place in the microscopic world with a world flood of the magnitude and the intensity and the length that we have uh, that we have in the flood, in the flood record. So the microbes were changed, and because of that, there was new diseases that emerged that the human immune system was not capable of suppressing. Because if you cut your finger, how many of you have ended up going to the hospital and having your hand chopped off? Huh? Oh, it doesn't happen most of the time, but it can happen. But most of the time, what happens? Your body is able to fight off the disease. If you simply wash your hands, put a little, uh, uh, well, we used to use Mercurocol. Anybody remember that? Ah, yeah, all of you gray, well, some of you are bald like me. Yep. Yeah, your body is able to fight off the disease. But if you have new exotic diseases that your body's immune system is not equipped to, to uh, uh, resist, you die almost instantly. How many millions of American Indians were killed and died because they contracted smallpox brought to the continent by Europeans. Did you know that the British government had a policy of distributing smallpox-infested blankets to Indian tribes in order that they would get the smallpox and die? We call it genocide. And the British and the colonial governments used that to clear away the American Indians, the native population, in order to take the land. I don't know whether you knew that, that bit of history or not, but it's, that's part of history. Well, that was the thing that we had with the flood. And man's diet changed. That was the other thing. With the introduction, look at Genesis chapter 9, verses 20 to 29. He said, okay, you can eat. The meat, but don't eat the blood. Now, why are you not to eat the blood? Hmm? Correct. Now, I know some... How many of you go deer hunting? Oh, yeah. We got several. I knew you would. I don't eat wild meat. 
because I don't know the health of that animal. Now, if you, if you, if you drain the blood and if you cook it thoroughly, it's going to be probably safe, okay? I realize that, but I'm not going to take the chance. But if you eat the blood, whatever pathogen is in the blood goes into your bloodstream immediately. And so God said, okay, now the earth is now going to be covered 60% with water. Its productivity is going to be reduced. You're going to need a new food source, so I will give you meat to eat and as a replacement. But don't eat the blood because there's life in it. Because you don't want what that, that animal, that sick animal may have. And you don't know whether that animal is, is sick or not. You assume that if it's standing and it can run, that it's well. And then finally, if you go to Genesis chapter 9, you have urbanization, the development of cities. Also contributed to the decline of human longevity. Pure and safe water became an issue. I'm reading a book on Thomas uh, Beckett, the English uh, archbishop who was killed by whichever king it was. Uh, And one of the problems uh, of that day was the fact that uh, London didn't have pure water. And so people drank beer instead. They drank wine. They drank alcoholic beverages, which we would say, no, you shouldn't drink, but they drank it because the water was unsafe. And that was true of all of the the medieval cities, and that was true of the ancient cities. If you go and look up uh, there, talking about in the Scripture, talking about pissing against the the, uh, wall. You had uh, uh, sewage, treatment of sewage. What are you going to do with that? Some of you, any of you remember the outhouses? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you remember? <laughs> I mean, you really wanted to go by in there. Yeah. Oh, I, I, well, I wish I could tell you that story, but probably wouldn't be appropriate. Oh, no. well, my, my grandchildren, you ever have you send your grandchildren out to an outhouse? Well, I sent mine. It, it didn't work. <laughs> no, they just held it until they got to a regular bathroom. That's all it was. They opened that door and said, Mm-mm, I'm not going in there. Okay, but anyway. But you see, the disposal and treatment of sewage was an issue. Urbanization. All of, this, all of these things came about to shorten the lifespan of mankind. And man's life went from 900 years to 148 years to David was talking about 70 years. And when we get to the medieval times, it was 35 years until we began to impose a public health uh, rules and regulations. And then man's life span began to recover to some degree. But we have never recovered to the point of living a hundred and a hundred plus years as an average, though we are coming close to it today. But that's primarily because of our public health uh, rules and regulations. So you say, well, why in the world would you want to cover this tonight? Well, my dear friends, as I pointed out, uh, somebody's going to bring that up to you. Somebody's going to say, do you really, really believe that? And you need to be able to give an answer. But here's something else that you need to think about. You know, divine inspiration includes details. Now, if you don't have it fixed in your mind that those numbers are actual and real and true, then you have, whether you want to admit it or not, and whether you even realize it or not, you've got a question in your mind concerning the divine inspiration and authority of Scripture. 
Because if you can't believe the details, how can you believe the broad picture? See? And so when we go here and we study these sort of subjects, which seem on the surface surface to be unimportant, we fail to realize just how important details are. Because God is a God of details. And so therefore, we're, we're taught and we believe. God, our Lord said, not so much as one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Those jots and those tittles included the numbers of the ages of the patriarchs before the flood. And if you can't really embrace those numbers, then you're having to say, well, you know, Jesus was just a little bit mistaken. If he was, then could he actually be God? And if he's not God, could his death on the cross actually mean anything? You see how important it comes? And so this evening I decided I'd just kind of give you a different piece of meat to chew on. But I also want to try to impress upon you as a congregation, as individuals, that the details are important. You believe it all or you believe none of it. Shall we stand? I'm going to, since I'm late, we'll not close with a song. Let's stand and I'll close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we're thankful for this church, for its testimony, for this congregation. We're thankful for the pastors who labor faithfully for Thee. We're thankful for Thy Word. We're thankful for Thy Son. We're thankful for the grace and mercy that Thou dost extend to us. We pray that this message might have some, uh, some benefit for all. But if there's any here who this more, uh, up this day have had some hesitation to embrace this part of thy word. May that this message might help them to cast those doubts aside and to embrace the details. Lord, we're thankful for thy word. and We're thankful for thy, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit that can teach us. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would use this message to thy honor and to thy glory in every life. For we ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, you're dismissed.